Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Now what? What is it you're waiting for? You were told to wait. You were given an explanation that you didn't understand. Now what? Now what? It's been three years, three years of listening, learning, and leading. And I know, I know, I know it was a whirlwind, a life change, emotions of every kind, twists, turns only to end in total, absolute devastation. Now what? I mean, you've seen the most miraculous. You've heard every word. You've walked with Jesus. You've watched him. You've seen what it did to the cities, the crowds, the nations, three years of love poured out, three years of hearing the voice of God that actually made sense. It made sense to their hurts, to their brokenness and all that's wrong in the world. Now what? It was three years of building up to something, love, perfection, the miraculous and power. Three years of the greatest spiritual training any group of people could ever go through. And it was by Jesus himself. Now what? If you're just now joining us for the first time here at The Crossing, we're so thankful and grateful that you chose to hang out with us. If you've been here for a while, you know that we've been, we've been in this series called The Cure. And what we're doing is we're taking a journey through the New Testament. In the last four weeks, we've looked at the first four books of the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's four books, four accounts, four different lenses or perspectives, four different witnesses, but all four books in the exact same way. Jesus dying on a cross, being put in a tomb and then raised from the dead. And we find ourselves right here, right now, asking this question, now what? You might be asking the same question in your life in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of the madness that surrounds us. And you're learning new ways to navigate and adjust and maneuver. And today we're gonna look at a book called Acts. It's the book that follows Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a continuous story. It's the acts of the followers of Jesus or the actions of the disciples. Now, I hope you've kept up with the reading plan. If you haven't, jump back in. Now's the time, all right? Don't give up and don't stop. Just pick right up where we're at right now. But if you have, I wanna give you just a really quick synopsis of what you've been through. Because if you read through the book of Acts, you've traveled a journey. You've taken some ground. As a matter of fact, it was 30 years that you read. 10,000 miles, 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands, and 95 leaders who are described by name, power, or authority that they hold. And that is all after the story of Jesus. If you understand the book of Acts, it is the blueprint to the rest of the New Testament. It's a continuous story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what Jesus began to do 
and to teach. Acts and the rest of the New Testament are what Jesus continues to do. And then something happens. Something great happens. Church happens. And in Acts, all of the rest of the New Testament hang from this book. Now, Acts was written by a guy by the name of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and then he writes a follow-up book, a continuous book, the book of Acts. Luke will write more of the New Testament than anyone else by volume. Paul, many more books, but Luke writes more words. And so we're going to jump right in right now. Acts chapter one, verse one. If you're ready, type I'm ready in the chat. Come on, if you're ready, say I'm ready out loud. Let's get into it. Here we go. Acts chapter one, verse one, it says this. In my former book, that's Luke talking about his former book, the book of Luke. Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. Highlight, underline, circle that to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said this, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Again, that's important. Highlight, underline, circle that. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Three times here in the first part of Acts, we are introduced to the Holy Spirit. We know God the Father. We know God the Son as Jesus in person, human flesh came to earth. And now we're introduced to the third part of what we call the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's always been there, but we finally see him active right here. And the disciples are waiting. They've been told to wait. They've been told just to hang out, be patient. And they're asking this question. Now what? But if they would just wait, if they would just be patient, if they would just listen to what Jesus says, they would realize that they are not waiting on an it. They're not even waiting on a what, they're waiting on a who. If they would wait on it, it would turn their world upside down. As a matter of fact, it's recorded that the Holy Spirit came. He came over a guy by the name of Peter and Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 people started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus. Can you imagine the buzz in the city? Can you imagine all the madness, Facebook going crazy, the front page of the paper? I mean, it turned this place upside down. And what we see here is something begin. The birth of something you and I know as the church. It's a power unquenchable it can't be contained. It's a movement uncontrollable. And it goes from a little bitty dot in a little bitty country that if not for the greatest story ever told, it would just be another place on the map. And it goes from there and it has a ripple effect and it fans out and it ends up in a place that you and I know is Quincy, Illinois, where a subset of people realize that the good news of Jesus Christ is too good to hold on to. And I don't know, let's Let's take it to our Judeas and our Samarias and let's go to Macomb and Kirksville and 929 and Hannibal, Lima, Pike County, Mount Sterling, Keokuk, Monmouth, Jacksonville. And why just go to towns? Let's go to prisons and jails and rehab centers and care facilities. Well, you get my point. 
And so we find ourselves right here with the disciples leaning in. And in verse six, they ask Jesus a question. They basically ask him, so now what? Are you gonna go build your kingdom? Are we gonna be popular? And Jesus says this in verse seven, look what it says. It says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And right here in Acts chapter one, verse eight, we get the blueprint of the rest of the New Testament. If you're taking notes today, I just have four quick things that I want you to write down. If you don't write it down, you don't remember it. And so grab a napkin, get a piece of paper, get on your phone, go to your notes and write these four things down. They're four things that stuck out to me. And if we're truly gonna know the cure, I believe that these are things that are gonna help us out. The book of Acts, when we look at the totality of the book, all 28 chapters, four things. The first one is this, it's the timing. It's the timing. Have you ever done something or said something and after you did it or you said it, you thought that wasn't the right time? Like it's one of those insert foot in mouth situations, right? Or maybe it's the opposite for you. Maybe you've did something or you've said something and you thought that was perfect time, right? We've probably had both of those things happen because timing is a big deal. It doesn't matter if we're talking about relationships or conversations that we have to have or vacation. Listen, life is based around time. There's different times of the day that's better to sleep or night. There's better times during the day to eat. Timing is a big deal. When we talk about sports and the scientific uh, uh, evidence of sports and how to get better at sports, like timing is a big deal whether you're gonna hit the ball, right? Punt the ball or throw the ball. Notice I didn't say kick the ball because the only thing that time has to do with soccer is it's a waste of it. <laughs> Lost some friends, I'm sure, but that's why I have a great friend and his name is Jesus. Anyway, timing is a big deal. And all throughout the book of Acts, we see over and over and over again, timing. Let me show you. I'm gonna reread the first four verses of Acts. And I'm just going to nitpick. I'm going to highlight where timing is a big deal. Let's read it. It says, in my former book, that's timing, Theophilus, I wrote about the things Jesus began timing to do and to teach until the day timing he was taken up from heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, the apostles had chosen after his suffering timing, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them timing over a period of 40 days. That's timing and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, timing, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem timing, but wait, timing. Timing is a big deal, but it's just not any timing because what he does here is he connects timing with the Holy Spirit. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, but wait, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have learned, heard me speak about. He connects timing with the Holy Spirit. It's the perfect timing of the Holy Spirit because timing is a big deal. And he says, wait for it. 
I promised it to you. I spoke about it to you. Remember in, in, in the book last week when Clayton was talking about John in chapter 16, Jesus says this. He says, I truly tell you, it is good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the advocate will not come. Who's the advocate? Well, it's the gift. It's the Holy Spirit. And right here we see Jesus saying, be patient, wait, because my timing is perfect because timing is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. The first three words of the Bible, in the beginning, timing. And then over and over and over again in the book of Acts, we see the timing of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the perfect timing of the presence of the Holy Spirit that allows Peter to preach and 3,000 people begin an intimate personal relationship with him. It's perfect timing of the Holy Spirit that Paul not only has his name changed from Saul, but he has his complete life changed. It's the perfect timing of the Holy Spirit that allows Stephen to look the people that are stoning him dead in the eye and still love them through it. It's the perfect timing of the Holy Spirit. The perfect timing of the Holy Spirit is always there. It's there for you right now. It's here for me right now. And the early church, the early church, they were heavily led by the Holy Spirit. Heavily led by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's all they had. It's all they knew. Listen, they knew that they were nothing unless they waited on him, but have everything when they received him. And hear me today, it's the exact same thing for you. We are nothing without him. But when we receive him, we have everything. Greatest part is we don't have to wait. You and I, the Holy Spirit is here. Yeah, there are things in life we have to wait on. There are things in life that have to be the perfect timing of the Holy Spirit. But the perfect timing of the Holy Spirit to change our life is right now. Today is the day of salvation. It's why you're listening to me because God wants to do something in your life. Timing is a big deal. The second thing is this, write this down. It's the tent. There's the timing and now the tent. I don't know how you feel about tent camping. Uh, personally for me, it's like hell on earth, but I understand the reasoning for tents. I get uh, the reasoning for tents. A tent is a barrier, right? It provides uh, protection from the bugs or shade from the sun. It's a place to rest or get away. Uh, most of the time, it's not very comfortable, right? It doesn't always protect you from all of the elements. But here's the deal when it comes to the, the tent. You don't pack up all of your camping gear. You don't pack up all of your, your camping stuff and drive to the campground and set up your tent and get it all ready to stay in the tent. I mean, the tent's nice for a moment. It's a refuge. But the food, the fishing, the fun, the fire, the four-wheeling, all of that happens outside the tent, doesn't it? Like the tent is nice to get away, but reality happens outside the tent. Now, hang with me for a moment because the tent represents the church. And I know when I say the church, most of our minds go to a place, a building, walls, and seats, and a band, and stage, and lights, and a preacher on stage. That's where our minds go when I say the word church, because up till now, the church, or the dwelling of God's presence, was a place. 
Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, they referred to it as a, a tent, a tent of meeting, a temple, a tabernacle. It's a place where God's presence dwells. But right here in Acts, we learn that the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, does not just dwell in a place, but now can dwell inside of a person. And as we read through Acts, we learn that what is inside of us should come outside of us. You see, Jesus took what was inside of him, the Holy Spirit, and he gave it to people on the outside of him. And whether it be the people in Israel, in Jerusalem, taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles, or whether it be them going to the messed up marriage in Philippi or the addicted person in Thessalonica or the struggling marriage in Ephesus, they begin to take what was inside of them to the people on the outside of them because the good news of Jesus was never meant to stay inside the tent. Oh, you can come here. You need to. You can't neglect it, but you can't stay here. I mean, these walls are nice. The lights are nice. The band sounds good. This place is incredible. Your campus is incredible. It provides you refuge and shelter for a short time. It's a solemn place. And I wanna get back to this place just as much as you wanna get back with your family and worship together. But what we need to understand is what happens in here needs to go out to people out there. What happens inside of us needs to be given to people on the outside of us because the gospel and good news of Jesus is not meant to stay inside the tent. It's great because when he told them to be his witnesses, he gave them a plan and he didn't say, hey, go be my witnesses, but stay right here. No, he said, Go, Judea, Samaria, go preach the gospel to everybody you can. And I love this because one of the side effects of the, of, of the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the attributes, one of the side effects of receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the fact that you wanna share the gospel. Look at it. It says, when the Holy Spirit falls on you, he said, then you will be my witnesses. What's Acts teaching us? What's it communicating to us? What's it telling us? Well, it's telling us that these walls, they are not the church. This building, it's not the church. This stage, it's not the church because the church has a beating heart. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to return for his church. His church breathes, his church walks and it talks. This building is not a church. As a matter of fact, they can never close the church because you and I, we are the church. The gospel, the good news of Jesus was never meant to stay inside the tent. We have the timing, the tent. The third thing is the truth. It's the truth. In a court of law, I don't know if you've watched much Judge Judy or Judge Mathis, but in the court of law in the United States of America, at least, there's something that a witness must repeat every time he gets on the stand. It goes something like this. They raise their uh, right hand and they say, I swear that the evidence I shall give will be the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The evidence that I shall give will be the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You see, in every ounce of truth, there has to be evidence. 
In Acts, there is no way that anybody is ever gonna believe the story they're gonna tell unless there's evidence. And I think we see three types of evidence. Write these down really quick. The first type of evidence that we see is the eyewitness accounts. It's the eyewitness accounts. These men and women had watched Jesus. They saw him, they walked with him. They watched the deaf ear hear. They watched the lame man walk. They had eyewitness accounts. And up till just a few moments ago, they were actually with him, with the savior of the world. And so they had eyewitness accounts. The second thing they had was they had scripture. Now they didn't have New Testament scripture because they were in the process of making it as they spoke, but they did have Old Testament scripture and they leaned upon it. As a matter of fact, if you wrote, uh, if you read the book of Acts, you read a lot of the Old Testament. For example, Philip, when he's on the road and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading scripture. He's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip says, do you understand it? And the eunuch says, no, I don't. And ultimately what happens, this is so cool. Philip, outside of the church, outside of the tent, the timing, the perfect timing of the Holy Spirit led him to share the truth scripture with the Ethiopian eunuch and it changed his life forever. So that's two evidence. One, uh, eyewitness accounts. Two, scripture. And the third type is signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. It's what they saw, it's what they knew, and it's what they were experiencing, signs and wonders. It was the miraculous, whether it be 3,000 people coming to know Jesus, or the fire of the Holy Spirit falling on people, or tongues, or healings, right? Over and over and over, all throughout the book of Acts, we see miraculous healings and signs and wonders. And so what they did is they preached the evidence. They proclaimed the gospel. It wasn't popular opinion. It wasn't what was politically correct. It wasn't even their opinion. No, it was the, the evidence of the truth. Through signs and wonders, scripture and personal eyewitness accounts and everywhere they went, despite circumstances, despite what people thought or what people did, they spoke the truth, the absolute truth. Here's the thing, when truth is preached, people are reached. When truth is preached, people are reached. And right here in the book of Acts, we see something birthed, the church, the early church, and the ripple impact made its, all, made its way all the way to Quincy, Illinois. And that's why I love the crossing because every single week from this stage, truth is preached. And every single week we see the Holy Spirit resurrecting people, bringing them from dead to life, making their dry bones rattle because truth is preached. And when truth is preached, people are reached. The fourth thing really quickly, write this down. It's the trials. We have the timing, the tent, the truth and the trials. We cannot look at the book of Acts and not talk about the trials. Now I'm not talking about court trials. There were plenty of those, but what I'm talking about is storms. I'm talking about circumstances. You see the gospel of Jesus Christ made its way around the world ultimately because of trials. When persecution started in the middle part of Acts, that's when they had to flee. That's when they had to run. That's when they had to leave. That's when they had to go. But what was inside of them could not stay inside of them because the good news of Jesus Christ was too good to hold on to, and they had to give it 
to the people on the outside. And so during the trial, during the persecution, during the storm is when the gospel of Jesus ultimately went to the world. But I wanna put one particular story under the microscope, and this is where we'll end today. It's Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 28. It's Paul, and I haven't had a lot of time to talk about Paul, but Paul arguably could be one of the most popular people in scripture. And Paul finds himself in a bit of a situation. Paul's already been through it. If you haven't read it, you need to. We think our problems are bad. Nothing compared to what Paul went through. And Paul's in the middle of it. Paul is on a boat. We find him on a boat. We find him as a prisoner on a boat. He's going to a place he wants to go. It's Rome. He wants to go there, but it's not necessarily the way he wants to get there. I think for many of us, sometimes we find ourselves on the road to somewhere we want to go, but not necessarily in the vehicle we wanted to take there. Like if your marriage is struggling, you're probably looking at your spouse just thinking, well, if you just change X, Y, and Z, then we could be, you know, but the vehicle you have to take is counseling and help from other people. And that's okay. You're going in the right direction. You're just not necessarily going in the vehicle you wanna go. Maybe you have uh, cancer and you're fighting this horrible, horrific disease of cancer. (coughs) And the only way to get better, the only way to attack it, the only way to see light on the other side of it is chemo. And that's gonna be brutal on your body. You see, you're going in the right direction. You're just not necessarily going in the vehicle you wanted uh, to be in to get there. And Paul finds himself as a prisoner on a boat. He's heading in the direction he wants to go, but not necessarily the way he wants to get there. And we pick it up in Acts chapter 27, verse 13. It says, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed across Crete close to the shore. Pay attention here. But soon an impetuous wind called the Northeaster, right in your margin, the storm. Maybe maybe your heading even says it. I think it even says it, the storm. A northeaster is just a big storm. It struck down from the land. And when the ship caught and could not face the wind, pay attention here, we gave way to it and were driven along. We gave way and were driven along. You're still moving, you're still going but you've gave way and are driven along. And maybe you're looking at me right now and in your life, you've gave way. The storm has hit. I've heard it said that you're either in the middle of a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into the storm. But that's life. That's the world we live in. It is full of storms. And for some of us listening to the sound of my voice right now, we're in a place right now where we have given way and we're being driven along. What that means is you're not in control anymore. The Holy Spirit's not in control anymore, but the circumstances in life are in control because you've given away and you're being driven along. I think the storm here represents a lot of things. It could could represent the storm that we're in as a country 
in this pandemic. It could represent the storm we're in in this country when it comes to racism and all the madness that's happening in Minneapolis affecting the country, affecting the world. It could represent fear or shame or opposition. It could represent uh, addiction or hurt or divorce or abuse. But you find yourself in a place right now where you're being driven along. by the trials, by the storms. But that's not my fear. My fear is what happens just a couple verses later where it says this, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they begin to throw cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw more stuff overboard with their own hands. And neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days. Listen, and the storm continued raging. Here's my fear. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. You see, it's one thing to be driven along, frustrated and fearful, but still fighting. But it's a totally different story when you give up all hope. You go from desperation to despair. And ultimately you feel like there's no way out. I know wherever you're sitting, wherever you're at in your house, maybe you're at one of our locations, maybe in your car, it is easy for us to hide. It's easy for us to hide but right now you feel your heart beating a little faster. Maybe the sweat is beating up. Maybe your kids or your family sitting around and you feel really uncomfortable right now because in your heart of hearts, the waves have crashed against the deck of your life and you, you don't know what's next. You don't see how it can be resolved. You don't see how it can be fixed. The sun hasn't shined in months and the stars don't even come out. The storm's still raging and you've thrown everything and everybody overboard. You've got rid of them all. And you're asking the question, now what? Now what? Every ounce of energy that Paul had left, he gave these words of encouragement just a few verses later. When the storm had taken over, when they had gave way and were driven along, Paul rises up and he says, I urge you, I urge you, keep up your courage. Keep up your courage because not one of you is gonna be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Keep up your courage. That is incredible encouragement. But right now in your life and in my life, the problem with most of us is our courage is connected to our circumstances, our conditions. We call that conditional courage. And there are times in life when the storm comes and we get scared, we freak out, we lose sleep. And I get it, it's tough, but it's conditional courage. If our 
conditions are good, our courage is good. If our circumstances are good, our courage is up. But when it all breaks loose and the storm hits, our courage begins to slide and fade away. And I had to come to a place in my life. I haven't totally surrendered this place in my life, but I think I'm heading in that direction where I had to learn a simple lesson from my, from my six-year-old son. Because one day I catch him. He's six, he weighs every bit of a hundred pounds. And I catch him jumping on our new furniture. And as he's jumping on the new furniture, I walk in the room and I say, son, you can't do that. You have to stop that right now. And he looks at me and I said, what if you break it? And without missing a beat, he looked right back at me and he said, well, what if? I said, boy, I will drag you off that couch and beat you. <laughs> but he knows, he knows I'd forgive him if he breaks it. He knows I'd buy a new couch, right? He knows best, he knows that I'd take it, but that's not the point. The point is this, you and I, we're what if people, right? We're what if people, what if, what if, what if they say that? What if they think that? What if it doesn't get any brighter? What if I do lose my job? What if the report does come back negative? What if they do say that about me? What if we can't go back to church, right? What if we don't move to, what if, what if, what if? And you and I, we get to a place where we are what if people. And that's when the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the perfect timing. And he said, Clint, what if? What if they say that about you? What if it doesn't get any brighter? What if? Would you still serve me? What if? Would you still love me? What if? Would you still follow me? And in that moment, my courage led by circumstances became a Holy Spirit infused courage. And I looked up and I said, you know what? I will. You better believe I will. I'll follow you. I'll still serve you. And the passion, the 20 year old Clint passion that hung out with stinky junior hires and preached the gospel to give them hope and love stood on his feet and said, you know what? I will, I will follow you, I'll serve you. And I don't care what storms come. I don't care what winds blow. I don't care if the, I don't care if the boat falls apart. I'll swim to shore to live out my purpose and your purpose in my life. And my conditional courage became Holy Spirit infused courage. Very last verse of the entire book, last two verses, Paul says this. He lived there two whole years. Paul made it to Rome. He, he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him. Hear me. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You know what that tells me? 
that the only way Paul could do that with all that he had been through, with all that he walked out, with all of the travel and persecution and trials, he was led by the perfect timing of the Holy Spirit. And that is the cure. My question for you today is now what? We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.